Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to the Energy Roundtable. On this week's edition, I have the same sparring partner, Lisa Barber. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good. And how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Let's uh, jump right in with a fun one. Uh, first, I, I'll pull an article from smartenergydecisions.com. Um, their, their email approach is working very well. It hits my inbox every day and they make at least one of two of my articles every week. So <laughs> this article is 7-Eleven uh, plans 500 new EV chargers for North American stores. So mm. across uh, both 250 US stores and 250 Canadian stores uh, by the end of next calendar year. They will have uh, those uh, units. They're called direct current fast charging ports. Uh, they'll be owned and operated by the stores. And uh, they have some. I mean, it looks like they have about 22 stations across 14 states. Uh, but they're looking to add 500. So that's a big uh, a big jump. And really, it's a sustainability commitment to the communities that they uh, they serve. And they're trying to help broader adoption of of EVs. And then it helps them with their broader emissions targets. Uh, they want to reduce their emissions by 50% by 2030. Um, so, and uh, the last note in the article is uh, 7-Eleven purchases 100% wind energy for operations at uh, 800 stores in Texas and 300 Illinois stores. Um, so yeah, kind of kind of cool. You can go uh, you can go get a slushy and you can go get to charged up at 7-Eleven. So what do you think, Lisa? Well, I think it's a good business plan for them because to that point, right? Like, what do you do when your car's charging? You're gonna eat or Bingo. drink, right? So makes sense. Bingo. Good, good business move on their part for you know that reason and the fact that obviously they're uh, contributing to the the energy community and uh, you know trying to kind of broach the gap between you know uh, new EVs out there and uh, and the infrastructure that's frankly needed in order for more adoption to occur. So yeah, it's a good idea. Good uh, thumbs up for me. Yeah, thumbs up for me too. There's nothing wrong with profitable decarbonization. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> So my article is from the Toronto Star. Actually, both of mine, both of mine are today. Um, this one is titled. Is that the paper you read? You you tell me you read the paper in the morning. Is that what you read every day, the Toronto Star? Typically, yeah. So Fallon actually likes the uh, the sport section in the Toronto Star. Yeah. Of course, it's it's been a little bit. It's 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 a little condensed in comparison with what it used to look like pre-COVID. Sure. Sure. Uh, but she likes this paper specifically for that. So uh, I don't I don't mind it either. For the most part, it's pretty neutral. So. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Cool. So this one is called, is titled Shell told to slash emissions by 45%. And basically Royal Dutch Shell was ordered by a Dutch court to slash its emissions harder and faster than planned. So that's actually in addition to what Shell has already pledged to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 20% within a decade and to net zero before 2050. But according to the court, it's not enough. Um, and so they ruled uh, that basically they need to slash their emissions 45% by 2030 compared to 2019 levels. So when I, you know, I think of this, my my first thought is, um, hey, it, you know, it kind of it makes sense, and you know, obviously we've got to kind of head in this direction. But I I kind of, you know, when you think about some of the sustainability objectives and how this is just kind of wildly being thrown out there in terms of you know being carbon neutral by 2050. I really commend the people that have deliberate plans on how they're actually going to get there. And so part of me wonders, well, you know, they did have a bit of a plan in place. And was that because of, you know, how they wanted to invest in renewable technologies and invest their capital in those areas um, while still, you know, meeting the overall objective? Um, 
you know, I think, or maybe it was because they had certain technologies in mind and they knew that other technologies weren't going to be available until a later date. So I think that's really the pro- my biggest issue with the the whole, uh, you know, being carbon neutral by 2050. If you're going to make the big goal, in some ways you got to take, you got to understand what plan you're going to take to get there. And of course, that's understanding that not all the technologies are figured out, and you know, you got to set a goal at the very least to try and get there. But I kind of wonder, you know, where these guys were in that spectrum, you know, if they had it all figured out or not. So, um, yeah, for for that reason, it's you know, it's kind of a half thumbs up and half thumbs down. I don't even know how to really. Yeah, I was I was I was going to do one of these. Uh, yeah, there one you go. Thumb up, one thumb down. I I'm, I'm not. Uh, I, I agree with you. The fact that they had a vision, maybe it wasn't aggressive, but I mean, they had clarity, and many many others don't yet have that clarity. So to penalize somebody and you know, okay the court system has has a role in our society but do they know everything that shell is dealing with do they know you know all the factors that have been considered is that all of that been factored into what's going on here so uh it, it's it's a massive verdict and, and you know I, what we don't have an appreciation for is how precedent setting this will be right yeah, can the courts right. just willy-nilly dictate everybody's you know carbon um and and then do we get into the point where it's totally unreasonable if they start you know dictating everybody else's um you know uh govern uh, everybody else's carbon reduction strategies so we'll see time will tell i'm sure there's a lot of legal uh, mumbo jumbo behind the scenes that has driven this decision but uh yeah only time will tell mm-hmm. so my um my next article is uh is kind of from the newswire um and it's a bit more closer to home it is a canadian article and the headline is canada invests over 96, $960 million in renewable energy and grid modernization projects. Some might say almost $1 billion. Um, so this is news as of yesterday, very, very fresh news. And uh, the Honorable Seamus O'Regan Jr., who is uh, a MP from Newfoundland and Labrador and uh, Minister of Natural Resources, launches this fund to support renewable energy and grid modernization projects. So The program is called the Smart Renewables and Electrification Pathways Programs Mm. um, to really support Canada's low emissions, uh, low emissions energy future. And uh, so he he did it at a Canadian Electricity Association event, uh, their regulatory forum. So clearly this is targeted at and I I looked and the the, the website is is active with with NRCAN. So the NRCAN has a website. Um, there is some some guidelines around app applying to the program. I think they're starting to accept applications. So big pot of money. Uh, looks like the the program eligible projects are uh, established renewables. It says solar, PV, uh, onshore wind, small hydro. So that's um, and then it talks about emergency emerging technologies, geothermal energy storage. Um, and then it talks about grid modernization, so microgrids, virtual power plants, um, th- things of that nature. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes of this. It really seems to fall under the category of electrify everything, I think, which personally my own conviction is that that doesn't work all the way. Um, but, I mean, almost a billion dollars is a lot of money, uh, a lot of money. So. Hopefully it kickstarts uh, good projects and helps us down the road. What do you think? Hey, had and you heard this, about it? I had not heard of it yet. No. And is that right? Sorry, is it right across Canada then, Matt? Sorry, or was I it just so. it's, No, it's a federal okay. announcement. Yeah. It's a federal okay. Announcement. 
Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, when we think about, well, we're talking about EVs earlier, right? The electrification of that. I mean, you know, our, our population is headed that way. You and I have spoken about this many times. I think it takes a blend of it to really make it all work, especially with some of the large industrial processes that are really, um, you know, driven today by fossil fuels. I don't think you can electrify all of that. Um, but, you know, the the fact that there will be more electrical, um, you know, infrastructure or those types of requirements I think it's good that at least there's a plan being put in place. Um, now we'd have to hope in some ways that Ontario can come up with a similar plan to address some of the shortfalls that we're going to be experiencing power-wise in a couple of years with nuclear refurbishments. But uh, yeah, I think it's a, I give it a thumbs up. I think it's a, a good play. Agreed. Cool. My, uh, my next article is called Poland Defies Ruling to Close Major Coal Mine. And uh, so basically, Poland's government on Monday, well, sorry, this is Monday, this is what this article is, uh, I guess, May 25th, so it's a little bit old. Um, they defied an injunction by the top European courts that ordered the immediate closure of a major brown coal mine. Hmm. So I highlight the immediate part because this kind of gets a little bit interesting. Uh, so development minister, uh, I think I'm, hopefully I pronounced his name right, but Jaroslaw Gawin said Poland wouldn't shut the lignite mine in Turo on the border of Germany and the Czech Republic, but instead was engaged in very intensive diplomatic and law-related efforts to secure undisturbed operation of the mine and connected power plant to generate some 7% of Poland's energy. So now I tie the immediate piece and the 7% piece together. And I find that this is like, I'm 100% um, in line with the closure of a coal plant. It makes sense. But the immediate closure and the fact that it, you know, it has uh, provides seven percent of Poland's energy. You know, often we we come into a room. Well, maybe not you and I, because we are we're in the space. But you know, people who are outside of our industry come into a room, they turn on a light switch, and they don't really have a true appreciation for where that energy is coming from. And right. so, whether it's coming from coal or a natural gas-fired plant or wind or solar or wherever, it still comes from somewhere. And so if they if they haven't come up with a plan to replace this, like what what is it going to look like? Does do they have excess power available? I don't know. Uh, otherwise, you know, it could potentially be affecting millions of households and businesses. So uh, not sure that the immediate closure makes a lot of sense. Certainly think it makes sense if they come up with a, a defined plan to get rid of that coal plant and replace it uh, accordingly. Um, but that's the only uh, you know comment that I uh, I had when I was looking at the article myself. Yeah, I mean, drama is always interesting, right? So a little bit of upheaval is uh, good for for ratings, I guess. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, it shows you really how how risky. Uh, you know, it shows you how risk can present itself, and and that's the hard thing about risk is it's hard to get your head around it until it actually happens, right? And then mm -hmm. you then you have an experience. So the seven percent that's that's not nothing. That's a big, and it's not that the lights go dimmer by seven percent. I mean, I guess initially, but you know, that's <laughs> that could leave a lot of people out of power. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, you need a plan energy. And it also goes to show you that, you know, energy and, and the projects in energy are long life cycle projects and long development cycles. Right. So you always need to be planning. You know, we think oftentimes we think our projects take a while, but really, you know, big projects take forever. And, and you know, it feels like it. And and you need to plan accordingly because you can't have these types of surprises. So. Um, very, 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 very interesting. Uh, we'll have to keep uh, keep a pulse on whether the lights in so southern Poland stay on. So, <laughs> That's right. uh, good. Uh, well, we'll uh, we will move to the face-off where uh, for our friend Mark, uh, who is a Canadians fan, the 
Uh, goal light has been on uh, more often than the boys in blue, so Mark is wearing <laughs> his bright red. Uh, and on to round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mark, welcome to uh, Energy Roundtable. Thanks, Matt. Hi, Lisa. Hello there, Matt. Or Mark, how are you? I am well, thank you. So, um, our edition of Face Off, our topic will be um, pros and cons of investing in new energy tech stocks. So, say I have a stack of cash, I'm debating on throwing it in some new energy stocks for like something new that's uh, like a new technology, sort of trying to weigh the pros and cons in doing so, um, versus maybe something that's already established, maybe it's a little bit pricier. Um, so, I need some advice from you guys. So. Um, I have a quarter in my hand, and I will let Lisa call heads or tails. I'll call heads. It is tails. Oh. So that goes to Matt, and Matt gets to uh, decide what he wants to do here. Oh, I will. I'll argue the. Uh, I'll argue the con. Okay. Yes. So, so your <laughs> so your your advice is not to uh, put my money in a new tech, new energy tech. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I'm trying to be kind, and uh, I, I think I, I, I have I have a recollection that I left Lisa with the hard one last time, so I, I'm trying to level the playing field. Ah, oh, fair enough. Yes. Um, so I, I will go first. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you there's a lot of clean tech that I mean, if you had if you had invested in hydrogen 20 years ago in Ballard or other places like that, you'd have no money left, right? And uh, there are there are many examples of you know new clean technology that you know promised the world and was thermodynamically impossible, but people fell for it and they bought into it. Uh, even the U.S. government is not um, you know a- averse to betting on uh, and investing. I mean, there's a, there's an unfortunate story in. Barack Obama's tenure where he invested in a very large solar company and all that money just poof evaporated. And uh, and so, yeah, it's it's a very risky proposition. We just heard about this, you know, uh, the two two decisions by courts that said, hey, you can't operate or you got to do this or like just, you know, throwing their weight around. So, you know, you're trying to invest money in uh, in something that's totally outside of your realm and 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 maybe heavily subsidized by government subsidies that the next uh, government will just take away. Uh, now, too too risky. Uh, I'll keep it in uh, in uh, in tech stocks and Canadian big five banks and uh, make sure my money is protected for retirement. So now I'll I'll keep my money to my or or Bitcoin less risky. <laughs> Bitcoin. Oh, he loves yeah. his Bitcoin. <laughs> All right, so I've got the pros. So, uh, well, good argument, Matt, but I, I do think that uh, investing in energy stocks, uh, especially with new technologies, is is definitely still a good thing, especially now, because the te- these stocks are cheaper than they are going than they were going for, you know, in previous years. And I think just because we're on the verge of this major technology shift and energy shift in the space, uh, there is going to be some significant growth over time. Uh, you see that just based on the climate policies uh, and essentially the overall shift of what we're talking about, you know, going to carbon neutral by 2050. Um, I think it is also just in general with energy stocks, it's relatively easy to um, access and or rather assess the swings in value if you factor in things like the geopolitical conditions, um, you know, weather that might, for example, dictate oil and gas prices. So you have to know a little bit about energy. And but if you do, I think that obviously, you know, benefits you. And of course, you know, following other corporate companies, as you start to see what other corporate companies are doing, that is a, a good sign of what, uh, you know, is probably to come. Uh, the other big reason is, look, the younger generation, they're interested right now to invest in clean st- in clean energy, green stocks. 
Um, and so I think that just further reinforces this push towards this renewable climate and uh, will continue to drive growth. And of course, if it continues to drive growth and adoption, it means your stock price is going to go up and you're going to make some good money. Uh, so I do think at the end of the day, it's a great tool to diversify your complete portfolio um, because there is a high likelihood of growth, especially in green stocks or stocks that are related to renewable energy. The end. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think I have to give Lisa my money on this one instead of uh, Bitcoin. For <laughs> I think that's for obvious <laughs> reasons, but um, I, I do tend to agree that uh, going green for, for as far as stocks and throwing your money into that would be, you know, more wise on my part. So does Lisa have any tips, like any ticker uh, designations? Who, who, should, who, who are you hot on right now, Lisa? Who should we invest in? Well, I just wouldn't, I mean, you got to be careful probably with oil and gas companies specifically, like not to invest in those. I mean, there's some, look, the, the, at the at the end of the day, um, you know, just on a personal note, the, uh, you know, there are some, some new technologies that are out there and some new companies. They've got high debt. Uh, and not necessarily a lot of revenue coming in. So you've got to really be educated if you're going to really invest in the energy stock market. Uh, if you don't know what you're doing, then you've got to have somebody to manage that portfolio very well for you or make sure that, uh, you know, you're combining that with a well-balanced portfolio, as you should be anyways when you're investing. So so don't just go like this and and then be like, that's the one. Yeah, that don't, don't put your, uh, your whole like retirement savings fund yeah. or I don't know, something crazy in uh in one energy stock and and then of course you see the big swing down you go oh no yeah. i'm now poor or cool. one with a cool name or something <laughs> well so now now i'm sweating because i may have all of my retirement in one uh oh, oh. energy energy related business with a cool name but uh, yeah <laughs> and cool well, people in your, in your uh, case if the letters start with cem you might be okay <laughs> <laughs> on that note we will uh, finish off this has been another episode of uh, energy roundtable and um on be behalf of my colleagues mark and lisa we wish you uh, all the best in the weeks to come stay up on the news stay safe and uh, most of all have fun thank you thanks guys thank you both Bye. take care stay safe Bye. bye, bye.